eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. It's like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. All right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and it is going to be a draft-intensive edition of the Blitz this week as we recap the 2021 NFL Draft. Having a little headphone issue right there, but I got it now. We're good. Let me bring in the rest of the team that's going to be with me through this latest adventure. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? It'd be a lot better if I can get this headphone uh, situation figured out. Just got a little clicks and pops. A little wiggly. But I can hear you, and I can hear the third member of our team, our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Excuse me, lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. And, uh, Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it as always. No problem, Rod. And Rod, I feel like a bad friend because you draft weekend. I send you the obligatory text just to let you know how awesome I think it is that you, once upon a time, got to participate in draft weekend. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Well, because, Rod, and you and I talked about it, like getting drafted, it's a combination of winning the genetic lottery and luck along the way and maybe taking advantage of a circumstance or two. Uh, it's a very select group. There's only like the top 1% of 1% end up getting drafted that ever play this game. So uh, for you to go number 123 overall, Rod, to the New York Giants back in 2003 uh, says a lot for your distinguished football career. A I know, lot of hard work. I know we've done this on the show before, Rod, but for <laughs> you, it, it, it was – there was no social media. There was no, you know, tipping picks, especially fourth round picks back when you got drafted. Uh, what was it like getting the call 
back in 2003? And then how do you think your experience differs probably from, from what guys are dealing with today? Um, yeah, man, it's obviously very different than what the guys are dealing with today. I just remember, I wish if I could go back, I would enjoy the day a bit more or enjoy the, the weekend, I guess, because back then it was, and I, I even today, obviously stretched over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd have just uh, kind of taken more time to just enjoy the moment, find more joy in the moment. Me and my competitive sickness uh, that I had in me at the time, you know, I was more upset kind of watching uh guys that i thought i was better than get drafted ahead of me right so mm-hmm. you know of course, and the process for me i think my agents told me hey man you could go anywhere from early you know third round or you could drop all the way to the fifth round and yeah, we don't really know <laughs> like all right so that's a you know that's it's a pretty wide that's birth. a wide that's yeah. a wide exactly that's a wide range and i think i i probably should have just tuned everything out i think when i when I, when I got most frustrated, <laughs> and we've talked about this before, my frustration hit its zenith was when Dennis Weathersby, a guy who had been shot uh, in the <laughs> yeah. back a week before the draft. Just recently shot. <laughs> he was he was in a hospital. I believe he was in a hospital bed as he was drafted, if I'm I not think, mistaken. I, I could think be wrong was, about that. Maybe yeah. exaggerating. And he got drafted ahead of me out of Oregon State, and I thought to myself, I'm, a, you know, what I mean, it just it, it bruised my confidence to the point. I believe that's the point I turned the draft off. I turned it off at that point. I believe I was done, uh, but I still ended up getting the call, and it was fun. It was just me and my, you know, me and my my mom, me and my dad. My brother was uh, in Atlanta at the time, so it was just us, man. And we hung out. I was watching the draft. I went upstairs after I got frustrated. Probably started. Um, and taking taking part in some uh, some alcohol activities and. Uh, uh, that got the call, <laughs> but I did. I remember being frustrated about the Dennis Weathersby thing, man. That that was, man. It, it just blew me away. That I was like, a team drafted a guy that just got shot, and I don't think he ever really even played or anything like that either. But I digress. Still, should have found more joy in the moment. Is and, my point because it is a joyous occasion. Yes, and having it like a more like a birthday celebration, it sounds like would have been fun. But with that competitiveness at the time. Totally see where your mind space would be there, and especially back then, that was what uh, first three rounds, and then it was four rounds for the second day. So you had to sort of sleep on it the night before. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean I, the first day, I didn't. I was like, no, I'm not. It's not. I don't think it's gonna happen the first day. But the second day, just kind of waiting around. You know, it the, it was more disappointment than joy, like I said, mm-hmm. until I got the call. And I got the call, of course, and nothing else mattered. But, yeah, man, I should have just, yeah, that, that shouldn't have mattered. Like, it should have just been uh, more Thanksgiving, more, you know, just uh, expressing gratitude for the moment. Boy, and I don't think I did that at the time. Now, in retrospect, I do understand how special that moment is and how special it was at the time. So, I mean, I think the numbers are what... Only you talk about one point six percent of yeah. NCAA players are end up being you know making it in the NFL. Um, so that, in getting drafted, I mean that's not a lot of players, guys. So uh, it's a blessing, no question about it. So Rod, you're uh, so back then, back in Rod's day, for those of you who don't remember, the draft was split into two days. Rounds one through three were on Saturday, four through seven were on Sunday. 
So, Rod, your Sunday, the Sabbath for you got started off on a bad note because Dennis Weathersby right out of the gate was the first pick on day two. <laughs> That's probably why it was so impressionable. <laughs> yeah. A little upsetting. I was like, what? Dennis Weathersby? I was like, you got to be kidding me. So that's, you know, I remember being frustrated at that moment. When you look at the list of guys, though, behind you, there really weren't many, like, you got, I think they might have had about right on the pecking order. It was a good DB draft. I think that also dropped draft stock because it was a really, I look back at that defensive back draft and I thought it was a really good defensive back draft. Oh, yeah, everybody that got drafted in front of you, you got some really big names. The ones behind you, not so much. But, yeah, when you got Terrence Newman and Paul Amalu on the front end with Trufant, you got, yeah, tons of guys. Yeah, that's what I was like. So that's all. That's what I, and now as a grown man, like, man, I should have just been having fun. It should have been. Just the majority. I mean, I, I had fun watching it, and all, you know, but I remember specifically frustration and a little disappointment. But once I got the call, it was great. I, and it makes sense too, because I had been working up, you know, up with the up with the Sims family, right? I've been living with them mm-hmm. for training for the combines. Uh, Phil Sims had a training facility up there, training guys for the combine. And I had gone over to the Giants facility a couple of times just with the family and with uh, field for them to throw and do stuff like that. And I had met a couple of the coaches. So, you know, once again, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And that was part of it, too, that they had got a chance to know me even outside of the combine, outside of the interview process and outside of the pro days. And you know who was picked one pick before Weathersby? Your boy, Chris Sims. He was the last pick of that third round. Yeah, I remember being ex- really excited for Sims and C-Red. Uh, D-Doc was also drafted in that yep. draft for me, I believe. Third round. Uh, was that Washington? Yeah. Matt, I don't have it yeah. Yeah. anymore. But. Yeah. Hey, Rod, so if it's any consolation, here's two things you can take solace in. One, you did have a longer NFL career than Dennis Weathersby. He played four games as a rookie, and then actually looking at his, according to the all-reliable source that is Wikipedia, he was actually in a car accident before the following season, and that pretty much ended his football career. So you had a longer NFL career than Dennis Weathersby, and you were part of a Giants draft class that helped them win a Super Bowl because in your draft class – uh, O.C. Uminura went in the second round. O.C. Uminura, yeah. David Deal went and in the fifth David round. Tyree, yeah. And David Tyree. And David Tyree in the I sixth. Out with, yeah, I remember hanging out with Ty, man. For real. Yeah, no doubt. But those are <laughs> three insanely critical pieces to the Giants winning a couple of Super Bowls uh, with those three guys. And David Tyree made maybe the greatest catch in Super Bowl history. So it's a little and, bit of, a little bit of Rod B trivia for you on, uh, on yeah. the draft weekend as we wrap up. And they up. did – they did draft Rod B to replace the uh, the last white rhino, last yes. white starting starting cornerback, um, and that probably wasn't a wise decision. You Rod think is- it may you maybe have it made it extinct? Like, will there be another? There has to be a white <laughs> cornerback. Rod, that is, comes it, is that why? Is that why Rod? You have like an infatuation, and you you take up for white DBs because you effectively killed <laughs> you effectively killed the white man playing corner. It hadn't been one since that time, you know what I mean? But no, I, I that's I do, the best piece of for, trivia. For for some reason, I don't know why white people are. Uh, yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, Jason Seahorn is the last starting white cornerback in the NFL. But people are a little bit uh, kind of reverse racism. But they, I don't know. It's it's hard for a white DB to get some respect. Dylan Haynes. Gets no respect from Longhorn no. fans at all. Blake Gideon. Blake Gideon, before he came back on campus, people used to always bring up the Texas Tech game, even mm-hmm. though he started more games than any other DB in DBU history. All they bring up is the Tech game. 
Um, you know what I mean? Like it's even in Texas, I see it all the time. Cowboys fans, I see it with Jeff Heath all the time. I so, saw it a ton. People didn't realize Harrison Smith was like an all pro guy when he was a youngster when he was coming up. It took a couple years for people to catch on to him. Yeah, I'm just saying white people don't like white DBs. So I just like I'm, I'm you know, just take it up for white DBs. That's all. I'm a DB. I'm a DB. That's all. Let me tell you guys. Heart. We all got that connection. As a Cowboys fan, I wish they had Jeff Heath back in the secondary. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Stuff we've seen Thank the last you. couple of years. But no, if you want to know who carries the flag for uh, for white defensive backs, uh, any 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 uh, white white defensive backs listening to this show, uh, Rod B <laughs> carries the flag because again he killed the uh, the white cornerback in the National Football League. He's, he's extinct because uh, because of Rod Babers. So just file that. File that <laughs> Obviously, we are. It jest, but still, it is. It's a fact. It's yeah. not extinct yet, but it's it's dormant. There's no fake news on this podcast, sir. We only we only speak we only speak the facts <laughs> and truth. All right, let's get on to this year's NFL draft. And Rod, I'll start with you. Uh, I this is one of those draft weekends where, man, everything just kind of fell into place. Pretty much where we thought it was going to go. There were no, I don't think, frustrations from Texas fans. There shouldn't have been. But I'll say this if you want to take solace in the fact that Joseph Osai and Sam Cosme in their slides, uh, one thing that I love, you know, the athletic does a lot of good stuff, but one thing that I I love that they do is they put together the consensus big board uh, for every draft. Basically, they take all your reputable draft analysts that fill, that do a big board uh, compile it, and you've got the consensus big board. And yeah. based on the consensus big board and where guys were picked, Sam Cosby and Joseph Osai were two of the biggest steals in this draft. Um, mm. According to the consensus big board for The Athletic, Joseph Osai was number 42 on the big board. Uh, he goes 69th overall to the Bengals. Nice. And uh, yes. <laughs> Sam Cosby was number thirty-seven overall in the in the composite big board at the Athletic. Goes number fifty-one overall to the Washington Football Team. And Rod, I just I can't. I, I'm happy for Sam Cosby, but it's so just. There's something unsettling that's just kind of off balance and wheels off to me when I hear the call between Ron Rivera and Sam Cosby, and Cosby's you know crying and. He's like, are you serious? You're taking me? And Ron Rivera says, and I quote, yes, you're going to be a Washington football team member. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> just something that doesn't compute. I've got wires in my brain crossed just hearing that. Uh, but no, Rod, and, and these are team guys. <laughs> these guys, these guys are going to uh, to places where they're going to be used right away. I mean, Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach, uh, came, came out and said they love Joseph Osai's motor. Uh, they're going to turn him into an edge rusher. And Ron Rivera made no bones about it. He said, given their offensive line situation, they're going to throw Sam Cosme at left tackle and, and see what works. So there's that part of it. But overall, Rod, the and, and for these two guys specifically, we'll get to the, the to the guys taken in the fifth and sixth round here in a sec. But for these two guys specifically, I think this just kind of for me, what I took from it, it, it encapsulates why the Tom Herman era at Texas, it was good but not good enough. And I kept going back to with Sam Cosme in particular, like Joseph Osai. I, the one thing I thought about him during draft weekend would he have, have had as much of a slide 
if he wasn't playing freaking middle linebacker and covering 30 yards of space in 2019, like if he was just an edge rusher and had that extra year to really hone his craft before Chris Ash got a hold of him, like how much more would teams have valued him as an edge rusher and not looked at him as a tweener? So there was that part of it. But, Rod, about this time last year, you said this and we harped on it all offseason. And you said if Sam Cosme doesn't go in the first round, then something for this football program went horribly wrong. And it turns (laughs) out something went horribly wrong because I don't know which broadcast you guys listened to. I was told about it and had to go back and find the clip. They didn't call him out by name, Herb Hand, but Mel Kuyper and Lewis Riddick, they verbally eviscerated Herb Hand as an offensive line coach without using his name. Uh, I can believe it, that. It was, I would love to. I would love to hear that clip. Actually, whew, man, it was, it, it was, it was rough, Rod. Basically, they were like, "Oh yeah, the, the technique is bad, and he doesn't really know what he's doing, and it's like he just yeah. needs to be coached." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like yeah. that is not a ringing endorsement for Herb Hand." Mm. But no, the Osio, the Osai thing struck me, Rod. But I just kept going back to what you said last offseason about Cosby, and I'm like, "Yeah, he didn't go in the first round because something along the way went just horrifically wrong." Yeah, because the the evaluations of him, and even this stands up, right? He is a physical freak. Mm-hmm. If you look at the measurables and all the testing numbers for Sam Cosme, mm-hmm. and I heard you going over uh, these two um, on, on Light the Tower, but his 40-yard dash was in a 98th percentile. His um, You look at his, his broad jump, that was 98th percentile. His 10-yard split in his 40 was 98th percentile. The you go look at all of the different. I mean, you should look at his uh three cone drill, it was 94th percentile, 20 yeah. yard shuttle was 98th percentile. I mean, I, I could go on and on, but the biggest knock against him, of course, was his flawed fundamentals and his really bad technique. I mean, it's just raw technique, which some people would say it's amazing that he was able to achieve at you know at such a high level in college with such really bad technique. I mean, I think that just says a lot about his ability to adapt as an athlete, but they also criticized the arms, right? The 33 inch arms was a big thing, but you know, I I, I read a quote from Dante Scarnecchia, one of the most respected offensive line coaches in the NFL was Ah, with the Patriots forever. And he, he basically talked about how ridiculous and antiquated the notion is about the 33 inch arms and, you know, you got Ryan Bulaga and Joe Staley and Joe Thomas and Lyle Collins and Jake Matthews and Isaiah Wynn and all these other guys. You know, Riley Reef, all these different players, Braden Smith in the NFL who have 33-inch arms and they play tackle. So the stuff about moving him to guard, you know, might have been – uh, it, you know, uh, might have been more about his technique and how bad it is, and maybe it's easier to transition the guard. I think if you get him with a really good offensive line coach, that he could be a diamond in the rough. I think he landed with a really good spot, guys. You look at uh, John Matsko is the name. He is yep. a, uh, I think it might be Matsko. It's 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 um, he's a 28 year NFL veteran as a coach and he's an off he's the offensive line coach yeah. been coaching for like almost 50 years total but he's the most experienced coach on the coaching staff on Ron Rivera's coaching staff nobody's been coaching at the NFL more than that guy and he's the offensive line coach I think they saw that that raw material they saw the fact that he had really really bad technique and flawed fundamentals and said oh man just give me a give me a season or two with him I guarantee you 
I'll have him ready to be a, a, a viable starter in the NFL because I think he has that type of raw material that to work with. Yeah, and you cited Metzko there, and if uh, you, anybody follows, you know, uh, the offensive line rankings, we talk about them a lot via Football Outsiders, Pro Football Focus. Does there's any type of metric you look at and you see the way that they improved last year, being Washington, they're like sixth in the league, and like you said, you talked about Matsko being a guy that was at the top four technique, and that's so perfect of a marriage with a guy like Cosme because sometimes you look at a prospect and if you explain him the way that you do to Cosme, that he's a physical freak, but, you know, the technique is the only fault. A pro coach is like, oh, give me that guy all day. I have a new template to start clean with and be able to build upon. That's perfect, and if you want to go and combine the scores that y'all spoke about, and I heard Jeff last week on Light the Tower break down, and it was great hearing just all everything from the 94th percentile through 98th, like you just said, Rod. When you combine all those together in a relative athletic score, the Raz testing, Cosme, he scored a 9.99 out of a possible 10. That's second out of 1,119 offensive tackles tested since 1987 through, to, wow. through 2020. Yes, that's 35 years, and he finished second out of all of them which is nuts so when you get an old head the old line coach that already turned around an offensive line in one year and made it perform at the level of almost a top five offensive line and you say you got a new piece of clay that you can let him mold together that's a perfect fit you're the, the the downside with Cosme and why he slid into the second round from a technique standpoint like I know some people might say that's nitpicking but Rod he's John Metzko's basically going to have to teach Sam Cosme how to play left tackle. He's going to have to wipe his hard drive from every all the bad stuff he apparently learned from Herb Hand. He's got to teach him from scratch how to play left tackle the right way. Pretty much, yeah, and doing it at the highest level. So, so we don't know how long that's going to take. Um, mm-hmm. That that is the question. That's why people you said didn't want to take him high in the draft because we don't know how. Everybody says that's that's a process. And by the way, you really good offensive line coaches are, are tough to find. Like that's one of the things mm-hmm. in the NFL that uh, they won't really, you know, that's why when you get a good one, you, you really hold on to them for life. Like you all like, like Steve Sarkeesian is doing, right. That's it. You latch yourself to a really good offensive line coach. If you are, if you're an offensive mind, because they're really tough to find. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I digress. The best coaches. Sam Cosby. Um, but, but really quick, just to come Sam Cosby though, I do think that, if it if it's a total rebuild in terms of the technique, it, if he's the athlete that we all believe he is, I don't think it's going to take as long as everybody thinks. I, I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't know if maybe I'm off in this, but something tells me in a season and maybe a season and a half, two off seasons, if you will, he'll I think he'll be ready potentially to contend for a starting spot or be a starter. In my opinion, Rod, I know you got a lot of NFL sources, so you can speak on this with more expertise than I can. Is it just does the organization when when you've got a rookie left tackle that you're going to throw in there, and that's your plan? Does the organization just have to stomach the fact that look, he's going to struggle? There are going to be weeks where it just doesn't look good, but you just got to stick with it, knowing what the upside is. Depends on your situation, I guess. You know, I, 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 every situation is different. I think it for Sam Cosme, I, I haven't looked. I haven't looked at the depth chart really for Washington, but I assume that the 
the plan for Sam Cosby is just to sit and develop. And I know you would say some guys you have to throw in the fire. I don't think offensive line is one of those things you just kind of throw a guy in the fire. I think you want to bring him along slowly. And I'm not saying that he won't be able to adapt to it really quickly, but I think you got to test him out and see how quickly the coaching can take hold. Like you just don't know. I think he's really smart. I think he's really athletic. I think it's going to click for him fairly quickly but that's why teams didn't want to draft him i guess in the, in the first round because he's not gonna play right away he's not ready to play right away we all know that if he is he's gonna be a disaster and you could ruin him because he's already got been taught bad habits and bad technique and then he's gonna go out there and just to adapt just to try to survive if you put him out there on the field he's gonna develop even worse fundamentals yeah right because he's just gonna be trying to survive you don't want that you want him to actually learn the, te- the proper technique so that he can thrive as a player and you can maximize that athletic potential, maximize that strength, maximize that size, maximize that athleticism. And right now you can't do that. Legal, eat them alive right now. They will. It's just because he's got such horrible technique. But the, the, like, all the stuff that Matt mentioned is why he got drafted in the second round because, you know, that's what the NFL draft's about. That's why That's why. Quandre Diggs will slide below a Mikael Thompson. Well, Mikael Thompson, he's got the long arms. You look at him run the 40. He got this. But what about as a football player? Well, as a football player, Quandre may be better. But in the league, once he gets coaching, once we develop him, Mikael Thompson will be a better player. That's a bet they made, a bet they lost. Yeah, and the article I had read uh, about Matsko, uh, it's from hogshaven.com, and he had, they had talked about like literally last year having to come in and reteach technique from footwork, hand placement, and technical dominance for the entire line. He redid everybody. So even though you're doing that to Cosme out of necessity, it sounds as if it's almost just another day at the office for all if you're going to be a lineman for Matsko. And the guy ahead of Cosme is a journeyman named Cornelius Lucas, who he filled in and was okay but he's just a career journeyman type guy so almost your perfect platooning type guy to have a better rookie behind him yeah Jerron Christian was a third round pick for them in 18 had a knee injury last year he was kind of there I guess the guy they were I don't know if they were grooming anybody to replace Trent Williams because they held on to Trent Williams until maybe after they probably could have maximized their value for him Uh, but at any rate uh, that's who Sam Cosby is going to be competing with in Washington. Uh, guys, the Joseph Osai stuff, it, it's almost uh, kind of easier to talk about because this is a guy that you, you, know, you look at kind of where the draft prognosticators and, and everybody that does this for a living kind of had Joseph Osai. Uh, Rod, they, they really didn't, they looked at him as a tweener. Like they really didn't know kind of what where is he a, a stand-up outside linebacker? Can he play with his hand in the dirt? Uh, but the one thing, and, and I think we all saw this and we talked about it a lot, the one thing that nobody knocked Joseph Osai for, and I think that was the the number one thing in terms of the positives, man, his motor and just how hard he plays, you're not, you're not going to have to worry about that. Uh, and when you look at the Bengals' defense, Rod, they're going to probably throw him in right away and, and maybe be a guy they feature in, in pass rush situations as a specialty yep. guy. Yeah, I think easier for Joseph Osai to see the field if he doesn't really have great technique. If he say he's more of that raw clay as well, right? He's not polished. It's more his motor. It's more that that speed to power uh, transition that he has that's really good. But if you t- start teaching him just a few pass rush moves, and he's got a couple. Start 
it started expanding his repertoire of pass rush moves, you can put him on the field almost instantly on third downs and in, in passing pass rush situations. And he can he can thrive. He can really, really help you early. So I, I love that. I don't know why people are critical of the fact that he's played inside linebacker and outside linebacker and a stand up, yeah. you know, a defensive end and also a hand in the dirt defensive end. I don't know why that is a big deal to me. That is a plus. That should be an asset. That means you can move him around in different places. You can manufacture depth with him because he can play multiple spots in your linebacking core. So I know people call him a tweener. To me, that makes him more of a, what I call the, the position. It gives him position flex. Gives mm-hmm, him multiplicity. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you can call him a hybrid if you want to, but I just means he can play multiple spots in the linebacker. I think he's best at that pass rushing outside linebacker or, or slash defensive end, however you want to use him. And I'm not sure if they're going to have him at linebacker or defensive end. Like I don't, I haven't really, I don't really know exactly. I don't even know the defense actually that. The Bengals run. I got to sort of, I got to look at that. So, but I'm I don't know what system their, they're going to play them in. Yeah, but. I'm just looking at their depth chart rod on our lads, and it looks like they're just completely rebuilding that defensive front. Uh, okay, you know, Sam Hubbard looks like maybe he's the only guy returning. They're bringing DJ Reader from Houston. Uh, Took a flyer on oh, the yeah. old they Mike Daniels. The, they, and it looks like they they just loaded up on interior. Yeah, Mike Daniels, Matt's a guy you mentioned. He's there. They, they've got, you know, uh, Amani Bledsoe, and they've got some younger guys there. But they draft Joseph Osai. They draft Wyatt Hubert out of Kansas State. Uh, speaking of, of guys that play with high motors, they drafted him uh, in the seventh round. They draft Tyler Shelvin to be a big nose tackle out of LSU in the fourth round. Cameron Sample yes. is a the guy they take in the fourth round. So it sounds like they just – yeah. That was one of the areas, kind of like the Cowboys with Dan Quinn, right? The, the Bengals kind of looked at this and said, "Look, we're just we're retooling this defensive line, and we're doing it through the draft." Uh, I do like the coaching staff there. I believe the D line coach is Marion Hobby. He's a really good D line coach. He was with the Dolphins uh, most recently in twenty nineteen and twenty. They had a top five defense while he was there. Um, he was also with Jacksonville. When Jacksonville had that run to the AFC title game, he was a D-line coach there, I believe. But they had like 55 sacks, top five. DB. And he was only there for two years. He's one of those coaches that hops around a ton. He's been like 20 years in college with Clemson. He was at, If I'm not mistaken, he was at Clemson when they won the national title with Deshaun Watson. He yep. was the co-DC there. Um, he's 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 a hell of a – so I don't know if Joseph Osai is going to work with him. He's a hell of a D-line coach. Um, he was at point, one point a co-DC. I think he probably will be a DC again because he's a fast riser. And obviously his, his record speaks for itself. I mean, he's just got top five defenses following him around. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty damn impressive. Um And if you look at the linebacker coach there, it's Al, it's yep. Al Golden. Yep. Remember old uh, Miami head coach and <laughs> Temple head coach? He's there as the linebacker. So, so either way, I think Joseph Osai will be developed by really good coaches, mm-hmm. my point. Sweat Al Golden sweating through that button down shirt and tie on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that, Ron? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, this is a, this is a good staff. Though. I mean, Frank Pollock is the offensive line coach. Uh, yeah, yep. this is a really old really Cowboys good st- coach, right? <laughs> yeah, they really got good. old James Casey as a tight ends coach. Yeah, really good staff. Zach Taylor's put together in Cincinnati for it seems like the Bengals are in a perpetual rebuild, but. Uh, 
we'll see how this turns out with Joseph Osai being a part of it in Cincinnati. Let's go to the other guys that got drafted. Rod, I, I was really encouraged uh, by what I – we'll get to Taquan Graham since he was taken ahead of Caden Stearns. We'll get to him in a minute. I was really encouraged by what I heard Vic Fangio of the Broncos say about Caden Stearns when he was doing his post-draft press conference. They, had, they were going to take a safety, and Stearns was the guy that they had targeted in the fifth round. And Vic Fangio said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, look, he said, our goal is to get him to play to his potential. We think he's got great measurables. He had some good years early in his career, but their goal is to get him to play to that potential. It kind of made me feel good that the Broncos, I guess, as much as you can invest in a fifth-round pick, and they're planning on investing in Caden Stearns a little bit. Yeah, and they're going to get the best out of him. I, I truly believe that. And I think you'll see Caden Stearns plays his best football in the league. I think he'll be closer to what he was his freshman year at Texas when he was the wolf of DKR. Their defensive back coach, I don't know much about him at all. Their DC, though, is a is one of the most respected DB coaches in the league, Ed Donatel. He's been with Vic Fangio forever. Vic Fangio and him have been latched. Um, and he, I think the stat is from 2012 to 2018 when he was a DB coach, top, I want to say his pass defense was top seven in each of those years he's the dc now he's not the db coach but he is basically still the db brain there so i think they got they hired some uh whoever they got for the the uh, the the db coach and i'm not saying that guy's not great but the brains of that kind of um that Denver pass defense is going to be Ed Dunatel, but he's also the guy that teaches technique to the DBs. That is going to be a great in, uh, resource for Caden Stearns. I think that's part of the reason you're going to see him play uh, his best football and be the best version of himself in the league. Yeah. Uh, so Caden Stearns. But, but he may not be there for that long either. I will say that. If Vic Fangio's not there, then you got to pray that he gets another really good DB coach. <laughs> yeah. But while he's there, he'll 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 build a good foundation for Caden Stearns, is my point. And after that, Caden Stearns will become a professional. And hey, you know, then after that, it's on you to to make sure that you're on it every day and you're you're getting up and you're grinding. I think Caden Stearns will do that in the league when you're getting paid. You know, you know what's interesting, Rod. You can tell. Uh, based on kind of based on div- what division these teams are in and who's at the top of the division, how they're building their team, like you could tell the Broncos share a division mm-hmm. with the Chiefs based on how much they've invested in the back end. Like they take Baron Browning in the third round, which I thought was really good value for them. Oh yeah, the Patrick Sertans, their first round pick. They sign Kyle Fuller in free agency. Mm-hmm. They bring in Ronald Darby. They draft two safeties, Caden Stearns and Jamar Johnson out of Indiana. They take a flyer on Kerry Vincent out of LSU in the second round who's a, a big time track guy so yeah you could tell like oh yeah you share a division with the Chiefs yeah get as much as much length and speed on the field defensively as you humanly possibly can damn right that's, I mean that's basically it right it's it's like it's like evolution you gotta you gotta adapt to your surroundings uh, they, so everybody's got their own ecosystem in the league with their within their divisions yeah. and then outside of that you'll get to your conference so you're right you gotta adapt to whoever is the big dog and right now that's Kansas City and that's all around the league everybody not right. in the league but it's in AFC you're adopting you're adapting to Kansas City on the NFC side now Tom Brady and his bunch have hmm. shifted the power dynamic, and now everybody's trying to adapt to them, and they're bringing back 22 starters after winning a Super Bowl. So, First man, that's why I love the league. The league is uh, it's it's the ultimate kind of um, 
applied the evolutionary process of football. Yes, no doubt. and adapting to it. And, I mean, the Broncos, and all the Broncos have ever had is a defense. It's all Fangs is is defense. And what does he want? More defense. It's a perfect fit for the Wolf. Yes. Everybody's got their own theories, right? Everybody's got their own theories. So it's the ultimate experiment in football theory. Everybody's got their own way of doing it. The Fangs got him a Maybe wolf. it works. Maybe it won't. Rod, you mentioned the Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. So let's go to that NFC South. Were the Atlanta Falcons, Rod, did we finally, did we finally get to a draft where, and I, I don't I don't include Osai in this conversation because to me he's a true edge guy and those guys are different. But in terms of just defensive linemen, legit defensive linemen coming out of Texas, did we finally get to a draft where somebody looked at what's happened on the 40 acres and said, you know what? Puna Ford was really undervalued, and Charles Amenahu was really undervalued, and Malcolm Roach made the Saints roster on a really deep defensive line mm-hmm. as an undrafted free agent, and maybe the toughest year ever to make a roster as an undrafted free agent. You know what? Let's let's take a flyer on Taquan Graham. Maybe he was sixth-round value, but yeah, let's take him early in the fifth round. Did, did we finally get to that draft where that happened? I think you're right. I mean, we know that, unfortunately – those stigmas develop about schools and positions in terms of uh, the history of that position from that school in the NFL. I mean, look at Justin Fields. I mean, it, some people can yeah. bring up the Ohio State quarterback lineage in the NFL, which obviously is totally ridiculous. Yes, that nothing to absurd. do with Justin Fields, but people still want to bring it up, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there is uh, a little bit of that, that on the flip side, you see Taquan Graham actually benefit mm-hmm. from all of the underrated defensive line prospects who've gone to the NFL and actually they've prospered. Right? You got Puna Ford with there's an undrafted, didn't even get invited to the combine. Didn't even get yeah. invited to the combine. Um, and he's had a you know a great career so far in the league. Malcolm Roach making the Saints, as you said, another great story. Charles Mena who with the Texans you know he's gonna be a starter this year. Uh, and Charles Mena who's gonna be a, a really good player. The Texans love him. It's one of, I mean it's one of the few good things going on with the Texans. But um I think you're right about that. I think and I, I would say for Taquan Graham, you know, it, it's uh one of those things where I think for him he's got Dean I think Dean Pease is there as the D C right now, uh, which is great because that's one of the best defensive minds in the history of the NFL. If I'm not mistaken, I believe mm-hmm. it's Dean Pease at DC. Um, and there's also the D line coaches, Gary Emanuel, um, his, you know, so he's, I guess I don't know much about him. I know he's been in the coaching game for a long time, but not in the NFL for that long, but Dean Pease to work with Dean Pease at any point in your career. And that's, yeah, that guy's going to be a hall of famer. I assume he's been with the Baltimore Ravens, been with the Tennessee Titans, been with the, the Patriots, um, he has top 12 defense, I think, in 10 of the 12 years as a D.C., so he's the real deal. So Taquan Graham goes in the fifth round to the Falcons. Uh, again, I, I guess the uh, the sacrifice that Puna Ford and Charles Menahu and Malcolm Roach and other guys have had to make before him, it got Taquan Graham drafted maybe a round higher than uh, than maybe what his resume said. But, you know, hey, maybe it's time people start looking. Because, Rod, even during the lows, Texas hasn't had a problem producing defensive linemen that hang around in the league for a while. So maybe people yep. just decided to go ahead and, and take a peek. And let's like go, that. Rod, uh, the, the final draftee we've got to talk about before we talk about some big picture stuff and end the show, 
Sam Ellinger goes to the Colts, and one thing that I heard, you know, in terms of criticizing the Colts draft was, well, I mean, you've got Jacob Eason, and, you know, do you really need to add another quarterback? To me, this is Frank Reich saying, look, you don't want to get stuck in a position. We know Carson Wentz has an injury history. This, to me, is Frank Reich saying, I want to have a competition for the backup quarterback job and maybe the number three job because. Maybe you don't trust Carson Wentz to stay healthy, and you're going to need – maybe maybe you're thinking about it, hey, you take Sam Ellinger in the sixth round thinking there's a chance he might need to get us through a game in 2020 or 2021. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, I think that's, that's why it's a smart pick for the Colts because you need as much insurance behind Carson Wentz as possible. I thought they was going to try to keep Jacoby Brissett, but they ended up losing him. I think he went to the Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken. But – I love this, but I think of all the guys, I know this sounds crazy, out of all the players who were drafted, and I know we just talked about how they're really good fits, I think Sam might have landed in the best possible spot out of all the the Longhorns who were drafted. I, it's hard for me to think of an NFL situation for Sam that's, that's better. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would actually have to rack your brain to find what it is. You got a quarterback guru in Frank Reich, right? Yeah. Uh, you got a starting quarterback who can't really stay healthy. Last time he had a starting job, he couldn't stay healthy. And he actually had his job taken by a Westlake chap quarterback who ended up becoming a Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm sure that doesn't really play a role, but still – that's a really that's really good for him. I know there's Jacob Eason, and there's another. I think they had an undrafted free agent that they signed or may have re-signed this year too. But Jacob Eason, we all agree, Jacob. That's nothing special about Jacob Eason at all either. And I think Sam already has the the upper hand on Jacob Eason in the competition. I'll tell you why. Because last year, remember, Frank Reich actually used two quarterbacks. He used Jacoby Brissett a ton. Mm-hmm. He used him as a a short yardage weapon basically as a goal line weapon or as a red zone weapon. One of the things that I was talking about with Bam Bam Sam that he could do in the league. Remember last year, Jacoby Brissett, he was only two of eight for like 17 yards as a passer, but he carried the ball 17 times for 19 yards, three touchdowns and nine first downs. So they used him a lot. And even Frank Reich said it was the first time in his coach career he experimented with a two quarterback system. And I, he, there's no doubt he liked it because he used it in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you like something if you use it in the playoffs. So now you got Bam Bam Sam, one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in recent college history, in my opinion. I just like he was used the right way. But in that, tw- that 2018 season, when we saw Bam Bam Sam, like the best version of him, um, that to me, I, I believe – probably clicked with Frank Reich and said, and, you know, in the, there in the sixth round, he said to himself, man, I lost Jacoby Brissett, and I did lose that element of being able to weaponize a, a quarterback's legs on the goal line. I don't want to do that with Carson Wentz because, I mean, he's fragile all right? So what if I can bring in a young Bam Bam Salmon while he's young and while he's learning to play quarterback at the next level, still we work in the mechanics and working with that raw material because Frank Reich is a quarterback guru. Why don't I let him lose on goal line situations to go in there and be Bam Bam Sam with a really good O-line and a really good run game? I think that's kind of what he envisions for Sam early on. Maybe not. Maybe I'm fishing, but I think I'm going to catch something. No, I think you're right, Rod, because when we talked about Sam Ellinger's draft fit, what you just talked about is exactly what we said on this show and what I had been saying 
on my show. And, Rod, I know you had been saying it on your show. Like, it was going to take somebody, and I didn't mention Frank Reich, but somebody like a a Sean Payton, uh, a Kyle Shanahan that really is an offensive mind who is an outside-the-box, non-traditional kind of thinker, uh, kind of, you know, goes marches to the beat of their own drum kind of offensive mind that would really know how to use him and weaponize him and maximize him just in terms of him being on the field early in his career. Like, I think if you're just taking Sam Ellinger to just strictly develop him as a quarterback, you're not maximizing that asset. And quite frankly, you probably should have drafted another quarterback. But yeah. if you can figure out a way to use him early on while you're teaching him how to play quarterback, it helps him. It helps your football team. It's it's a win win for everybody. Yep, and I, you know, I've been having this theory for a while too, and I know the NFL is thinking about it. I know they are. They just haven't. They haven't. They haven't been able to really find a way conceptually to make it work. The NFL wants more two point conversions. There are some coaches, and um, you know, there some of them are really aggressive about it. I mean, Frank Reich's most famous for one in the Super Bowl. Frank Reich is a very aggressive guy with two-point conversions, and I think that you know you can use Sam as a two-point conversion weapon. I've been throwing it out there for a while. Mm-hmm. I thought Tim Tebow. I know he just worked out recently for the Jags, but as an H-back or a tight end. But when the Patriots signed him, I forget what year that was. I swear, you know, I, there were sources saying they were working with him as a two-point conversion weapon. They were going to do some weird, funky thing, almost as a Taysom Hill, basically, um, before Taysom Hill. But then basically Sean Payton did it with Taysom Hill and turned him into that, you know, player in a, in a sense. So I don't know, man. I, I think that I thought actually I thought the Eagles when they drafted Jalen Hurts, I thought that was kind of the some of the thought process behind it, too, that he can be our two point conversion weapon, uh, you know, because we don't really know what Carson Wentz. We don't want to want to get hurt, you know, in those situations, but we may want to run the quarterback as a plus one in the running game. I still think the NFL is going to go that way at one point, man. They get, they're decentivizing the, the the extra point, and they want to incentivize two point conversions because they just want action and they want scoring. And I don't know why teams don't do it more. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and if you look at who led the league last year and two point conversions converted at least via the pass. First, it was Carson Wentz, but then also Phillip Rivers was one of the only other guys to have multiple ones. And then, like you said, Jacoby Brissett was brought in strictly for that role. So it's sort of like a two-edged sword. You get a guy not only that can fill the Brissett role possibly – but now you have your backup aligning with the skill set of your starter. And when you do that, yeah. that's normally strategically done. You see it with NBA teams with big men, and you want a big man. And if he's a facilitator, have your backup do similar type roles so you don't have to change the dynamics of your roster whenever you bring in the backup. And having a guy like Ellinger behind a guy like Wentz shows that they prefer probably Ellinger to win that backup job over a guy like Eason. Real quick, guys, on on the undrafted free agents, before we talk big picture and and close this show out, (laughs) Brennan Eagles signs with the Cowboys, Tariq Black signs with the Colts. Uh, As as of the time we're sitting here and recording this, I haven't seen anything on where Chris Brown has signed. I do believe he has options but hasn't made anything official yet. Rod, other than seeing maybe where Chris Brown ends up and if he puts something – put some tape on special teams or, or something of that nature. I, I don't know that we're going to see any of these undrafted free agents from Texas stick in the league, at least this year. No, I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I don't know what other choices Brendan Eagles had. I know he's going to the Cowboys. Congratulations to him. I hope he makes a team. Yeah, Man, I, 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 
to me, there if he, I know he got multiple options because I, I was hearing that you know teams were interested in Brennan Eagles. I wonder if he made the right choice. The Cowboys, the deepest position is wide receiver. Yeah, they're deep. You know what I mean? Like deep, deep. They drafted another one this year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I don't. I, I hope he you know makes the team, but that's going to be tough for him. Uh, Tariq Black with the Colts. You know, Tariq Black, I will say this, he had a freakish workout pro day. I don't know if freakish is the right word, but it was a really impressive workout mm-hmm. uh, on pro day, right? And it, 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 it kind of reminded me of Marcus Johnson a little bit, who was also an undrafted free agent. Now, Marcus Johnson ran a 4-3 something, which is freaky, freaky, freaky. But uh, Tariq Black, he ran at 4-5-3. Um, he had a 40-inch vertical. I think it was 11-foot broad jump. I mean, in terms of his testing, he was top three in most of those categories. I think he had the best broad jump and his second best 40 time. And I, you know, I I wonder if the coach looked at that and said, man, you know what? Let's let's get a look at, let's get a look at him. Like we didn't, the film doesn't, doesn't really tell you that he's that athletic. I was shocked at the, the number, the measurables by Tariq Mm -hmm. Black. I thought he would test slower than that. And I didn't think he was that explosive. So I think now the team was like, no, let's get a, let's get a, you know, a first-hand look at this explosion and see if it actually translates to the field. Because honestly, if I mean, if to the Colts, it's nothing. I mean, that that's a low-cost measure. If you oh, get him in it's camp, a penny and, stock. yeah, you it's get him in stock. camp and you find something great. If not, then well, you didn't. It, it's not hurting you at all. It might cost you. Exactly. You know, I don't know what what would a guarantee for a guy like Tariq Black be, Rod? Oh man, maybe. A- Maybe a thousand dollars. I don't even know if they. I sometimes was, they maybe a thousand. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking probably like five grand or so, maybe. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe it's. A, I'm. I'm old school thinking my way. Maybe <laughs> it's. Yeah, you're right. Maybe now it's five G. Sorry. Back in my day, it'd have been a G. <laughs> yeah, you got that fourth round money though, Rod B. You had the fourth round. That fourth round money. money wasn't bad money. No. That fourth round money. They had some good. Well, it's all good money. But yeah, I wish I'd have had more of that. Uh, that fourth round money. I wish I'd have saved more of that fourth round money. We all do. They Trust me, Rod. For, fourth round money is uh, more money than I've seen in my life. So uh, be, be thankful for that. Uh, let's talk some big picture real quick, guys, before we get out of here. And I think this is what Texas fans need to remember about the draft. Uh, you know, we can talk about guys on active rosters and, and I, you know, however you want to slice it. Guys, one thing that I just get so tired of on draft weekend is when people that don't follow the draft or national college football writers that don't follow the draft, oh, my gosh, can you believe the Big 12 didn't have a first-round pick? This is this is just horrible for the league. Like, I guess we're going to neglect the times where this league has produced a quarterback who went number one overall and had two guys on the defensive side of the ball go in the first round last year. But I yeah. guess that what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mindset prevails and everybody's got to have the hot take holstered and ready to go on draft night. So it is what <laughs> it is. But, Rod, it's all about the draft and improving it in terms of what you can sell to recruits. It's all about how many first-round picks you got, how many top 100 picks you got. Those are really the two things that you're going to sell because once you get into the fourth round, no disrespect, Rod, that is the round you went. Once you get into day three, like you said, it's not – I mean – it's great for the individual guys that get drafted, and it's great for you to sell it as a school. But guys want to know about those premium round picks yeah. that you're getting. Yeah, everybody believes they're going to be drafted there, even though they're not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, you know, Rob, nope. back, back for you, like you didn't want to be hanging around day two. And now it's for, for guys now. They don't want to be hanging around day three waiting to hear their no. round call when they believe they were a second round or third round pick. 
every guy that's going to be drafted believes they're going to be drafted in the first two rounds. And all, I'm talking about all the time you're like training in high school and you're being recruited in college. Everybody just believes that. And that's because you need that unshakable confidence to be one of those 1.5% that make it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But the truth is, no, most of those guys will be drafted third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round or undrafted free agents. Yeah. So I want to, I want to just take a look at this. Um, you know, when you look at Texas and, and, and there is a correlation between NFL draft success and success on the field. Right. I want to give you some data from the draft starting with 2001, the 2001 draft through the 2010 draft. What seasons does that encompass? It encompasses the entire decades of the 2000s, the decade you were a part of, Rod. Texas in, yeah. that, dec- in that decade. Think about this from 2000 through 2009. Texas goes 110 and 19. It's an 853 winning percentage. That is the best winning percentage in any decade. Or actually, I'm sorry. It is the second best winning percent. Or no, wait, let me look at this again. Did I get that right? Yes, it is the best winning percentage in any decade in school history. I just totally butchered that for effect, but I apologize. Uh, It's right. (laughs) It only, the only, right behind it is. Maybe the the other when you talk about golden eras of Texas football, it's this one or it's the 1960s under Daryl Royal. Uh, Mac Brown had an 8.53 winning percentage in the 2000s. Daryl Royal uh, 8.10 winning percentage from 1960 to 1969. Right in that time, and I'm just looking at strictly the Big 12. I haven't done this nationally, and I don't know that I have the brain space to do it. Uh, nobody in the Big 12 produced more first round draft picks than Texas. 14. Wow. 14. And Texas had uh, the following years, the 01 draft, 02, 04, 05, 06, and 07. Texas had six drafts where they had multiple first-round picks. So so from 2000 to 2001 through the 2010 draft, nobody in the Big 12 had more first-round picks than Texas. Nobody in the Big 12 had more top 100 picks than Texas. When you combine the first, second, and third-round picks, 30 top 100 picks for Texas in that decade. Rod, you were 23 spots away from being included in that data set. So um, my apologies there. Felt, <laughs> no worries, felt, I get it. Out of it. But when you're recruiting, when you're recruiting these young men, that's what you're selling them. Like that's, that. well, when I was being recruited, that's what they were selling me. They were selling mm-hmm. me, hey man, we're going to get drafted. They were comparing, I was getting compared to Dre Bly because they want me to get in the mindset that, oh man, you want to be the next Dre Bly? You gotta come, you know. Gotta come yeah. to Texas. Our coach Dre Bly. I, I watched him. I think you're gonna be him. I think you got his skill set. Everybody is projecting themselves to be the best version of themselves, and that's a first or a second round pick. So I'm with you. I think that's what you know. Bama at this point, that's yep. the best recruiting pitch in yeah. the history of mankind. You can't. No, nobody can beat Bama's recruiting pitch. It's impossible. I yep. just, <laughs> I just mentioned Texas in that decade had 14 first round picks. Alabama's 2017 recruiting class has produced eight first-round picks. <laughs> they just yeah. tied that team we talk about with the U, that the U had six first-round picks in one draft class. And they just did that. They matched that class. That's crazy. So, Rod, let's go to uh, let's go to the last decade, the 2011 through 2020 drafts. What seasons do those correspond with? Uh, how about 2010 to 2019? Texas in the last decade. How about a 555 winning percentage? That's the second worst winning percentage in school history for a decade. So how does Texas stack up with uh, in terms of the draft? Well, in terms of first-round picks in that decade, Texas produced two, Kenny Vaccaro and Malcolm Brown. Would you like to know how the rest of the Big 12 did, Rod, producing first-round picks, the schools that either tied or beat Texas? 
I do, but it's going to be depressing. Go ahead. <laughs> Baylor with three. Colorado with two. And Colorado only had one year in the Big 12 last decade. <laughs> Missouri with two. They only had one year in the Big 12 last decade. Oklahoma with six. Oklahoma State with three. Tied with Texas Tech with two. And West Virginia with three. The only schools Texas or, – or, and I'm sorry, I forgot the school that's actually right behind Oklahoma, TCU with five first-round picks since they've been in the Big 12. So the only schools, Rod, that Texas beat – and I'm talking Big 12 members, so this encompasses 14 schools. If you count the schools that only had one or two years in the conference and then bolted for other leagues, the two first-round picks Texas got, Texas has had, they bested the one first-round pick from A&M, which that was Von Miller, but – a&M was only in the league two years last decade. And then Iowa State, Kansas, and Kansas State with zero. Wow. That's who Texas is ahead of, of those 14 Big 12 member schools that spent at least one season in the league in the mm. 20-teens. Yeah, it's that bad. And then when we go to top 100 picks, Rod, Texas, and this doesn't include this year's draft, by the way, uh, Texas with 12 top 100 picks, that actually does come in second to uh, Oklahoma but you want to know why Oklahoma's been dominating the conference? They've had those that run of quarterbacks that have gone number one overall. Uh, in addition to the six round, six first round picks, twenty one top one hundred picks for Oklahoma in the last decade. That is by far more than anybody in the league. And Texas second with twelve, followed by TCU with ten, West Virginia with eight. So and then uh, Oklahoma State's next was six. Uh, K State actually has six top one hundred picks. Baylor also in there with seven. So you get the point. Yeah. Yep. Rod, bad results on the field equal bad results usually in the NFL draft. Yeah. If they're not, if Texas isn't developing these, you know, these high caliber athletes that are bringing on campus, these blue chip athletes, if they're not developing them when they're coming on campus, they're not going to be able to bring Texas back to a point where they can compete. Uh, at a championship level, not only to win the Big 12 means you got to compete and beat Oklahoma, but also at the in the college football playoff. It's just that simple. They're get, and we all know at this point, their the talent pipeline has not been disrupted. The the talent pipeline is still flowing. It is flowing as 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 well and as really <laughs> it's ever. as plentiful as it's ever been. Uh, Texas just has failed to develop that talent. Let's just say this though, and let's give props. I know we're coming close to the end of it. Right. Tom Herman did a good job because Texas is doing better. Like mm-hmm. it's this, this is better. Mm-hmm. This, you know, five players being drafted is much better. This is part of that 2017, 2018 group. Uh, Sam said they call the 2017 class the 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 ish class, <laughs> <laughs> the Istane class. All right, because he's now, that's basically what they called themselves. You know, obviously amongst themselves, but. Um, that was the class 2017 built the foundation in 2018 that was supposed to take Texas to the, the, the next level, right? The championship level. We're back. That was that moment. And these are, you know, these are kind of the faces of that part of bringing Texas back. Now Sark's got to pick up where, where Tom Herman left off. Yep. I'm sure he, he will. Um, because he's got the talent there and now he's got to be able to maximize and weaponize that talent. And that's the other part of it, Rod. Like when you look at that 2018 class, you know, Caden Stearns goes in the fifth round. After his freshman year, would any, it, we, you'd have been 
I'm told you probably need to go get drug tested or take a field sobriety test if you thought Caden Stearns was going in the fifth round after his it's first true. year on campus. Look at all the guys out of that class that are transferring. As we're sitting here recording this, just got the news Malcolm Epps is transferring to USC. That's another transfer from Texas headed out west to play for the Trojans. Keontae Ingram's transferred out of the program. Jalen Green is transferred out of the program. Brennan Eagles, that's a guy that you probably left some meat on the bone in terms of his yeah. development. He goes undrafted coming out early as a junior. Uh, you know, you've got offensive linemen in that class. What is Kyle Floyd? What can he do with a guy like Junior Angulao? Yes, that class produced Joseph Osai. You did get a top 100 pick out of Joseph Osai and credit Oscar Giles and the defensive staff for developing him. But, Rod, it's just like we said about Sam Cosme or even Connor Williams getting drafted. When you talk about like the offensive line issue at Texas, at two guys that were three-star recruits that you developed into top 100 picks, those don't attain for the multitude of sins failing to develop talent at that position. So Agreed. So if, I, if I'm talking to Texas fans right now, and Texas fans, I don't know if you're an Aggie <laughs> listening to this podcast, got to help you. I guess you just really love the football theory we talk about or what have you, or you're just a masochist. I don't know, but I digress. Texas fans out there look trying to say, oh, Pete Kwiatkowski, you know, his defense got X number of guys drafted uh, this year. And look at Sark's offense, how many number one, how many first round picks they produce, and how many guys, you know, Kyle Flood got X number of guys drafted. That's all fine and dandy. But we thought that wave was coming with Charlie Strong, and it didn't come. And we thought better development was on the way with Tom Herman. And to an extent, it was. But that's why I said the theme for the time, the final draft of the Tom Herman era, it was good, but it wasn't good enough. Can Steve Sarkeesian get this program back to producing the kind of results Mac Brown did during the 2000s? Because like you said, Rod, if he does, you'll see the results on the field, and this program will be back at the level that everybody listening to this podcast right now wants it to be. Yep. It's just that simple. Um, so I, I, and I think, you know, I, I think the coaching staff, though, it, it is the right coaching staff that I, I believe to help develop that talent. Can it bring it back to a championship level? I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of, the the disappointing you know Bijan Robinson mistake of or the failure of or the malpractice I should say of not giving that guy more touches in a game you know mm-hmm. that ultimately for people is going to be Tom Herman's legacy is that yeah. guys were underdeveloped underutilized and that they he didn't you know um, maximize all of that talent even though yeah there are the Sam Cosme stories and the three-star guy there are there are some good stories but i'm with you even the kane stearns i think probably one of the more disappointing things that he did not get yeah. better kane stearns got worse while he was on the 40 because he's gonna play his best football in the league that's not supposed to happen you're supposed to have kind of a linear progression a linear trajectory mm-hmm. of development and a lot of guys at texas didn't have that sam didn't have that sam regressed unfortunately at 18 we were all thinking oh sam's gonna be in the heisman discussion by 2020 Nope. No. That didn't happen. 2018 was the peak, and then after that, 2019 I thought was still pretty good, but then 2020, uh, Sam definitely regressed. So there there are those stories too, and hopefully you have less of that and more of guys being, you know, maximized to their potential to their, and you get that, you'll get closer to what Texas was at their peak. Yeah. And if you can get that, then you have the guys that are those overachieving three stars that turn into those stars. That makes you over, go over the top and have one of those rosters like you saw back in when Texas was really successful in the late two thousands. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We will pick it up, talk about the 2021 team next week as we continue to look back at the spring game and spring practice and uh, making our march through the offseason. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can catch Rod B. each and every weekday on the triple option from 3 to 7. Seamus Blood. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to find this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. Click the subscribe button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz, State of Recruiting, and the flagship. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.